I'm Roxanne Serta, and I'm the Acquisitions Editor for CNT Publishing. I've been acquiring books for nearly 20 years, and the past seven of those have been here at CNT. Through my job, I get the privilege of meeting countless designers, authors, and industry professionals who all do amazing things with their creativity. I'll be bringing some of those quilting and stitching personalities to this podcast to share their amazing stories and insider information. Download the latest episodes and get to know great crafters, learn the backstories behind events and people, and hear funny stories from people living the crafty life. So hi, everybody. I'm here today with Victoria Finley-Wolf. Victoria is an artist based in New York City. She's most well-known as an art quilter, fabric designer, quilt designer, author, teacher, and lecturer, among many other hats. You can find her work on vfwquilts.com. So hi, Victoria. How are you? I'm excellent. Thanks for having me on the show, Roxanne. No problem. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule. I know it's been pretty packed lately. (laughs) Yeah, the year has definitely been a full one. (laughs) Tends to be how we roll in this industry. Exactly. Busy is good. Um, And I, I know that you've given a lot of talks at shows. You've been interviewed any number of times. So I'm really hoping in our talk today to kind of delve into some of the aspects of your work that maybe aren't as well known. Um, Yeah, so your work regularly appears in museums and shows, but commercial quilt patterns are very different to art quilts, many of which would be really difficult to replicate. Um, So how is it that you decide which quilts to pattern? I think a lot of that sort of happens naturally when I'm looking at traditional quilt blocks. I'm looking for shapes and designs that will not just give me one visual as an output, but I'm looking for something where I can play with the shapes to come up with designs within designs. So when I'm playing with a template or a a block shape or design, I'm looking to see, is there multiple things that I can do with it? The only templates I put out commercially or patterns that I put out commercially are things that I can get a lot of different results with, not just a one hit wonder. I want to be able to find something that you would not expect. So oftentimes when I release a pattern commercially, I'm then going to show you five other ways to use that template. So you can go, yes, you can start here at the basic concept of the block, but then now let's look at the background or let's look at how we can add improv or let's look at how we can add looking in the background or the, you know, the different parts of the block and where you would normally put the color to see what kind of results you're going to get. That's the thing that I find is really interesting and exciting. Those are the decisions that I'm looking for when I'm something commercially. Well, and I would imagine that in most cases, that same question could apply to your teaching. So is, is that kind of the same way you decide what you teach or is that different? Anytime I'm teaching, yeah, I want to be able to have a pattern or a template or something that gives you a lot of opportunity. But mostly what I'm teaching when I am teaching is, um, is there an aspect of improv? Is there a way for them to come up with their own design? Because mostly I feel my goal when I'm teaching is that people aren't making my quilts. I want them to discover their own quilts because, like I said, I'm looking for different ways to show um, the output of a block and I know there's a million other options out there. It doesn't mean I've found all of them. I just enjoy looking for it. And I also enjoy my students looking for that. On the other hand, the second thing that I always want to teach is technique. 
Um, I think improv and technique can go together and live together very well. Um, and I want to be able to have those opportunities where I'm not just teaching you, okay, here's a pattern, let's cut a bunch of strips, let's cut our shapes and sew the quilt together. I mean, that most of us who've quilted have done that. So I'm always looking to see how can I push it further? How can I get them to design their own pattern within the shapes? And what techniques can I give them to boost their skills for ease of construction? Everything I do is, is I'm, I'm teaching how to understand how the fabric is moving, not just let's cut some pieces of fabric and sew it together. I'm explaining them, you know, why we sew things in a certain way, how we do it for ease of construction. If you, sometimes if you flip a shape over and sew it in a different way, you have a previous stitching line, which makes things easier. So, you know, part of my job is to find the most, most efficient and the most um, helpful way for ease of construction so that your skills will ramp up and your output, your final quilt is going to be better pieced and visually look better as well. Well, and so that makes me wonder a little bit because, you know, you're kind of empowering people to kind of go in their own direction to kind of take it and run. Um, have any of your students ever taken one of your concepts in class and done something with it that you've just found completely surprising? Oh, absolutely. It happens all the time. When I'm teaching, it's not just about me teaching. It's about I'm learning from them just as they're learning. I'm always looking, you know, mo uh, the, well, the third part of what I do is that I'm teaching people how to look. Um, students and quilters, I think, spend a way too much time in their heads thinking about things. They want to know what the outcome is before they start. And I have to tell you, things don't look the same in your brain as they do when they're in front of your eyes. So I spend a lot of time, you know, in my own work, where I cut things up, I cut more fabric than I'll ever need. And I'm watching and I'm looking to go, well, how did that cut up? Is there another interesting effect there that could become something else? And that's the same thing that's happening when I'm teaching and students are cutting things up. They might not recognize something, but I'll look at something like, oh, well, look what's happening here. Or look at how this print has cut up in a way that you would have never thought it would. And look at the effect that it's giving. And so I think mostly what I'm teaching is, you know, getting them to look at the shapes and all the improv. And the, most of the time, I really think um, teaching people to look, not making them comfortable um, not knowing, not needing to know the answer. Anytime a student says, well, what do you think? I'm like, I don't care what you think. I want to know what you see. So always trying to put them back to actually looking at what's happening in front of them instead of roll, letting it roll around in your brain. Because if you don't have that visual, you don't have anything to judge. You have to see it. So I'm constantly trying to get people just to cut the stuff and look at it because ultimately we all have more fabric. <laughs> <laughs> to cut a few extra pieces and put them on the wall and go, okay, so now that you're looking at it, which is the answer, instead of it rolling around in your brain going, well, I don't know if that red's going to be the right red. And all of a sudden you cut five different reds and you're like, oh, the brighter red is the answer or the darker red is the answer or whatever it is. Once you put it in front of your eyes, now you're going to see what the difference is and you've answered your own question. I think I need to take one of those classes. <laughs> <laughs> I think you catch yourself going, well, I just, I don't know. You know, it's not about knowing it's about seeing it's looking at it. And, you know, we get dressed every day. We're making decisions about what we're putting on. We're looking in the mirror, right? We're looking at things. We're making decisions about what we think looks good. And that's the same thing that you have to apply when you're trying to push yourself um, to build quilts in a different way is you have to trust your eyes because we do that anyway and you need to apply that to your skill and your craft. 
need to get back to looking at your eyes and not needing the information to be presented to you because I think that's part of the culture that we are engrossed in now is that we need all the information. We want it right away. We don't, we just, we just don't look. We, we want the information. And I'm saying you don't need the information. You need to look at it and the information will be provided to you. Gotcha. Yeah. I think a lot of us overthink. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so I know that you do, or at least historically, you've done a lot of work in a series, whether it's a particular motif or quilt or black or a concept. Um, do you feel like there's anything like any quilt or concept that you just are completely done with? Like you've explored and you don't want to go back. (laughs) (laughs) There's always more. There's always something else discovered. Always something. There's always a different pattern. And one of the biggest things I try to do that every time I start a quilt, no matter what pattern I'm doing, I'm thinking myself as a beginner and I feel like, and I, and I visualize in my head that it's an open playing field. So if I'm starting over from scratch, I'm a beginner. What options do I have? I have everything available to me. I've got all the tools. I've got all the fabric. I can do anything that I want to build the next quilt. How am I going to start? So having all of the options open at the time when I'm playing, there's always something new to be discovered. There's never, you know, there's never an end to something. I think there are certain styles of quilts that I tend to avoid, but I also think that my process changes. So I if I said I'm never going to make another 12 and a half inch block quilt and put sashing in between the blocks and call it a day, I can't say that because maybe in five years my process will have changed and I'll be like, I am all about that sashing. I want to come up with something new to do with the sashing, you know? So (laughs) I don't know where my process or my journey is going to take me, but I have to, if I keep all the options open, I never know what I'm going to stumble across. That's the exciting part. That's the thing that I love about quilt making. There's just, options are unlimited if I'm open to them all. Gotcha. Well, and that kind of makes me wonder too, like, is there any quilt, quilt block or concept that you know you want to play with, but you just haven't been moved to jump into it quite yet? Um, not particularly. I mean, I start a ton of different projects and I think the, uh, the, the opportunity strikes whenever it needs to. So I start a lot of projects. Some of them I'll come back around to. I have quilts that I started probably five years ago that I want to come back around to exploring more or doing more with or finishing for that fact. Um, clearly the double wedding ring I have not stopped. I've already made over 70 double wedding ring quilts and I'm, I'm staring at another one on my wall right now. I actually have two <laughs> more ones right now. Wow. Um, yeah, again, the, the possibilities are endless. So I, I, I just wait for the moment, you know, I'm all about process. All of my books have been about process, you know, from looking to playing to the stories that go into the quilts to, you know, I'm constantly evaluating my process to go, now what is it that you've done? And what can you do that you haven't done? Or how can you incorporate a different technique in a different way? You know, I'm, I'm constantly looking for that. So I'm, constantly focusing on my process and the things that I do over and over again so that when I'm aware of those things then I know how to shake it up and I can go okay well I've done that now what new thing can I do if I limit myself on the amount of applique mostly I don't do a lot of applique because I don't have the time to do it um (laughs) there's a running joke (laughs) with my friends that the only applique I do is circles or leaves and if you look back at some of my quilts that have applique that is all you that you will see is circles and leaves um so I'm hoping one day my process will change enough where I have enough time to actually do more applique because I have ideas but I don't have time to actually achieve 
Um, but you know, for the moment I'm as far in my process that I can be. And if all I can do is circles leaves for today, that's, <laughs> that's totally <laughs> fine. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's back to being busy is good, but it has its price for sure. Um, well, in, um, that kind of kind of leads into something that I've often wondered and never thought to ask you before. Um, but I've, heard and seen a number of times how much you enjoy gardening but you have your shop in New York City so clearly to get enough space to be a gardening enthusiast you have to have a somewhat regular commute. Um, I used to have a regular commute and I enjoyed using the time in a couple different ways but do you have a commute and if you do like how do you use that time and do you use it to impact your work or your artistic life, or is it just a break? That's a very good question. Well, first of all, I live in New York. I live right next to you, walking out of one building. There you um, go. <laughs> my garden is, um, we have a house on Long Island that we spend. That's where I have that kind of time, and I do spend a lot of time in the car to that. I do a lot of road trips as far as my work. I'm about to head off again for another month road trip. And I just mentioned this to my husband like yesterday. And I said, yeah, I do my best work when I'm driving. Because he always asks, are you okay? Like, do, you need, do we need to switch driving? And I'm like, I do my best work when I'm driving. Mostly it's because I can roll around those shapes and those things in my head as I'm driving without zoning out. You know, I can, I can roll around a concept and think about it from all aspects and, um, I love that moment when you get away from everything that's creative. When sitting in my studio trying to write an essay and I'm looking at 10 quilts on the wall, I have a very hard time doing that. I need to take myself out of that creative situation so that I can focus on the words. And that's kind of the same thing that happens when I'm driving. You know, like some people say that when they take a shower, they come up with the best ideas. You know, that same kind of a thing when you can step away from, um, the highly impacted creative space, pull yourself out of it from a distance and sort of look back at it. I come up with a lot of ideas. I hear you. If I could put a notebook in the shower, I would do it. <laughs> yeah. Airplanes, there's much time that's been on airplanes too. I get so much done on an airplane when you're out of away from my sewing machine, away from my computer, away from my fabric. It's good it's good to step away from it. Way more exciting when you get back into the studio and start making fabric. That's true. Um and that, you know, I've, and this is something that I've talked with so many artists and designers and authors about, but like it, it takes so many different endeavors all kind of functioning at once and together in order to earn a living as an artist or a designer. Um, and how do you balance the work that you, that's required to be commercially successful? So in other words, make a living with the time that you need for your creativity? Oh, that's an ongoing struggle. Um, as I said at the beginning, but when I'm playing with a shape where I come up with something, you know, where I start with the standard, that's usually where I can come up with the ideas for the commercial side of it. But then I'll, I'll always see something that pushes the boundary a little bit further. And I tend to start a lot of the projects just to sort of capture that essence, that energy that you get when you're like, oh my God, if I did this, like how amazing would that be? So I usually, I start a lot of projects and I do small sort of samples of that so that I can come back to them at another time when I have more time to make something. Um, so basically what I'm saying is if it doesn't have a deadline attached to it, it gets pushed to the side and the things that have a deadline are the things that get pushed forward. So I'm actually at a point now where I'm um, reevaluating because I think that's kind of normal. You know, balance is never 
the thing that anybody has without an effort. So have, after having a, an incredibly busy year and projects and stuff going on, I have a backlog of um, my personal work, my personal projects that I'm working on for series that I'm doing personally for myself. And I have a backlog on commission quilts that I do for collectors and whoever's interested in having me make a one-of-a-kind quilt for them. And so I'm, I'm needing to back up and and sort of find more time to be able to be home and in the studio to get that work done. So I am taking time off next year. Instead of doing about 40 events a year, I'm doing eight. Wow. But what I've come to realize for myself and my own process is that I really enjoy having, you know, five days with students. So my travel schedule still looks busy, but it's actually, I might be gone a week or two weeks at a time and only once a month so that I'm leaving at least a month in between everything that I'm doing so that I get more work done as opposed to being gone, you know, a couple of days, one week, three days, the next week, two weeks, the week after that, you know, that kind of a thing. So it's rebalancing my schedule so that I get more time to get the other stuff done that I need to. And that's an ongoing struggle, I think, for just about anybody is how do you balance? Exactly. So reading between the lines, I'm going to wait a bit before hitting you up for another book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just hold that thought. <laughs> <laughs> Will do. I don't think that there's like five more in my brain, but having the time to be able to do that. Uh, not in the exactly well and and talking about teaching a little bit um so far pretty much everybody who's been on the podcast has been a teacher of some sort um some busier than others and i know that you know at least through this year you travel a lot to teach um so this is a question that i ask all the teachers just because it, it just seems like such a fun question um what is like the craziest teaching or teaching related moment that you can think of <laughs> that you're willing to share? <laughs> There's one that comes to mind immediately. And I was giving, I had just started giving a lecture at a guild. And if you picture the big room as a rectangle and where you come into the room, there's a big entryway, like a big archway. And the screen pulls down pretty much in front of where the archway is. And then I'm standing there and then, and then it's all the people. So basically if they're going to leave the room, they have to come up walking towards me, walk behind the screen to walk out of the room. And I'm about 10 minutes into my lecture. And you know, when you're giving a lecture, everybody's looking at you. And so as I'm watching them looking at me, I see somebody that I don't know, cause I've never been to this guild before. I see them sort of, Eyes go shut, head flops to the side. They don't really fall off the chair, but I think, you know, I don't know if she just fell asleep, but that doesn't look like something's up. And so I actually have to ask, is there a doctor or a nurse in the house that could check? Clearly this person was not awake. And there were some nurses in the room and they grabbed the lady quickly and they laid her down on the floor and, and, they called 911 and the hospital was literally right next door. So it was super fast. They ran up to the room. They pulled the screen up. They rolled the gurney in. They got her on the gurney. They rolled her back out. They pulled the screen back down and they hand me back the microphone. <laughs> oh my goodness. Really? And I'm still like a little deer in the headlights because one, I didn't really think there was anything wrong, but I wasn't sure. 
And but it turned out that she was totally fine. She hadn't eaten that day and she passed out. Low blood, she's really fine. She's really embarrassed about the whole thing. And I'm embarrassed. We were just so happy she was okay. And I'm glad that I noticed, you know. Yeah. The, the whole pull the screen back down and hand me back the microphone <laughs> was really hard to go, um, how do I, what do I, I don't know what I'm doing right now. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think that you'd almost have to just start completely over. <laughs> <laughs> it t- really took a few minutes, and um, yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> That's a good one. I'm glad that I asked. It's a good story because that, that has come up a lot, and it was fine. I'm actually now hypervigilant when I'm watching, so when I see people fall asleep in the audience, I'm like, okay, I, she was just fine a second ago. I clearly tell her head's bobbing. She's just in a nap, and that's fine, too. <laughs> but yeah. So I'm, I'm very careful. I do watch carefully when I'm lecturing. Make sure that everybody's okay. Yeah. I, th- I think that your uh, future lecture attendees will now try to sit up a little bit straighter. <laughs> <laughs> Putting them on edge that I'm watching them as closely as they're watching me. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my goodness. Well, and so I always wonder, too, like, because creativity is such a part of your work and what you do, and it, it just from the outside, it seems like that's really what drives things. So do you feel like you're traveling, teaching, you know, the exhibits and shows that, and lectures that you do, do you feel like that connects you with the larger quilting community? Well, I think it does, but in a, in a way that I don't expect to or desire it. I mean, I, I make the quilts because I'm going to make them no matter what. I'm always very humbled when I get to have a museum show Um, people coming into an exhibit and actually looking at them and getting something back. Because to me, the the connection that I put into making my quilts, you know, the story and having an emotional connection. Like I, I I talk about quilting as an extreme sport. I like, I'm, I'm literally, I'm waiting for that moment to get all the hairs to stand up on my neck. Like I want that physical connection with what I'm working on. And that's why I do what I do. Um, I'm not doing it to get the outside feedback, but which of course is, is nice when somebody gets their own feeling back when they're looking at the work. And that's always a nice thing to have. Um, the thing that I do think is amazing is that I can go to any city around the world and be like, Hey, where's the quilters? Let's, you know, let's go out for lunch. Like you'll always find somebody. And I think that that's like kind of the magical part of the quilting community is that all you have to have in common is fabric and stitching it together with somebody and, and you've got a friend no matter where you go in this world. And I think that's, that's the, probably the most powerful. It is, it is. Um, and it's a lot of the fun too. And um, so just something you said in the last answer made me like, just think of, I remember it, you telling me, and I've heard in interviews too, that like, you know, you tried to use quilting as a medium um, in the art community as early as your college days and were really kind of rebuffed at that point. And now getting all of these museum exhibits and everything, do you feel like the acceptance of quilts and textiles as an art form has changed significantly? I think it's more acceptable uh, to a certain degree. Um, I, I struggle with that. I struggle with the concept of, I mean, I think it's art. I, I, 
I, the, this concept of craft or art versus artisan is like a 500 year old argument that goes way <laughs> back that I really just don't think it's even a necessary conversation anymore. <laughs> gotcha. If you're good at what you do. It's, it's, it's art. We're cutting stuff. We're making decisions. We're putting things together. It's art. It's art. It's art. It's art. Um, that being said, I also think, um, I think we have to value it as art I mean, I, I, you know, I teach a lot and I, and I'm thinking about an instance where my grandma, uh, my grandma, who was the quilter, Elda, she too, she didn't really think much of her work, but I, I think it's important for the quilter to, to, you know, be proud of their work and acknowledge it as art. Um, even if you think you're not making museum like pieces, that's not important. I mean, the art of making is the art of making period. I know that my grandmother used to always say that she didn't think her quilts were all that special. But the, the funny story um, I was once told was that, you know, my grandmother made her scrappy double knit polyester quilts, one for each of her children, you know, one for all of her grandchildren. And then she found out that her son had used it on his quilt on one of his horses <laughs> on the farm. <laughs> Then all of a sudden that quilt was really special and he wasn't going to get another quilt because he used it on one of his horses. <laughs> <laughs> so from thinking that they weren't all that special to all of a sudden them being very special. I mean, it's the very special part that I think that we all need to really hold. I think if, if we start embracing that as an art form that then it continues, you know, it starts with us first and then it goes to our community and, and it grows exponentially beyond that. Um, so I think, but my, my art school in particular did not think that there were art, um, but it was also a very small art school. And I, I do like to think about, you know, well, textile design or fabric design or, you know, I don't, I, surface design, like all of these things that I was kind of playing with in college, like, and we didn't have, those weren't programs that were available at the college that I went to. And I often wonder, like, you know, well, how would my process have changed? And, um, I'm actually now in, in my newer work, I'm actually going back and sort of exploring the things that I was thinking about when I was in college. Um, I have a half a degree in photography and I have a bachelor's degree in fine art. And so I'm trying to marry those things between you know, the computer work, the photo work, the traditional aspect, the modern aspect, and, and trying to incorporate all of that now into the work that I'm new series that I'm working currently. So. Excellent. I can't wait to see it uh, when you're done. <laughs> one thing that I thought was really great about working on this last book the with purpose was that I was able to look at my first quilt. And then at 35 years of whether I was continually making quilts or if I took a break and was focusing on painting or, you know, coming back around, looking at the process of where it started and kind of where it changed. And now I can look back at that whole body of work and go, Oh, well here you were doing this, but you never really went further with it. So, you know, that's where I'm kind of making that connection now. But the other thing that I thought was really interesting um, looking back at a, at a body of work like this is to actually see the things that I had no idea that I was doing over and over and over and over again, because usually I'm only looking at, well, let's look at what I've made in the last year, not as opposed to let's look at something I was made 25 years ago. And now I'm like, oh, well, for someone who thinks I'm always getting outside of my own box, I realize now by looking at the whole batch of quilts and seeing the things that I do continue to see somehow do which is actually a square and a square in a square my very first quilt was a square and a square and I continue to do that design over and over and over without ever realizing that I was doing that 
So that's been an interesting sort of revelation in my own process. And so now I can go, do I need to do something more with that concept or do I try to find a new way to answer the question? So that, <laughs> that it's brought on a whole new, I think, way of looking and has definitely changed my process just by doing that last book. Well, and that's, I did want to talk about the book a little bit, um, mostly because for people who are, you know, the end readers, the process of how a book begins and how it develops and how all of that goes into what they ultimately end up picking up and reading is completely invisible. Um, so, you know, almost exactly two years ago, you and I first began discussing the concept for your newest book, which is... Uh, playing with purpose, a quilt retrospective. Um, and that early planning phase, really all the way through production, is, is very much opaque. Um, so for any listeners who don't know, the book that we did just release in May is your, uh, is what I just said, the Playing with Purpose, a quilt retrospective. And it's a look back over your work as an artist, um, in terms of quilts, you know, from, I guess, the beginning, really, until when you turn in your manuscript. Um, and I would love it if you could talk just a little bit about what led you to where you wanted to create a book that looks back over your work so far. Well, as I said earlier about, you know, all my books are about process and about a part of the process. And so <laughs> I have like, I don't know, 600, there's 140-ish quilts in a book. And I was really curious to really start digging through those and sort of cataloging them and looking at them and then, you know, getting re-inspired by looking at older projects and things that I had done. And I thought, well, this is, this is as important in looking at your process is to, is to acknowledge where you started and where you've grown and how far you've come. I think that's good for anybody. And, you know, as I've already mentioned too, that, you know, the, this definitely kind of changed my process itself because I didn't really realize that I was doing some certain sorts of designs over and over again. So it, it really helps with clarity when I can identify those things and, and sort of reconnect with them, the, the skill that I learned or the concept that I learned at the time or, or even projects that I started and never finished and kind of went back years later. Um, you'll notice on some of the quilts, uh, in the book where they have like started, um, they have two dates, 2009 to 2017, like on the Red Crosses quilt, that they're quilts that I started on installed or quilts that I started and felt like they were finished and then pulled them out years later and then just completely changed them. Um, that, that that's been a pretty powerful part to the process that I really wasn't aware of that I needed to look at. And so I think that part of, um, of doing that book was really the most eye-opening for me. When I was pulling quilts to put in the book, I found that to be a little bit harder because the, the quilts that have already been published were, of course, quilts that I've already feel a big connection to. But I wanted to include other quilts that maybe people will look at and think, well, there's nothing really special there. But to me, they were kind of game changers, whether it was learning a technique at that time um, or a quilt that maybe I had just learned how to free motion quilt on and that I was proud of, or like, you know, pulling, pulling quilts that I felt um, where you might visually be able to start seeing a change in the way that I was working at that time. 
I think that's really interesting. Um, now I look back through the book and I go, oh man, that other quilt should have been. <laughs> so right when I think I've kind of covered them all, then I go, oh man, yeah, there's always something else. But I, that, I like that, that it just keeps changing the process. And I, and I hope that other people as they're flipping through the pages that they will be inspired and get ideas or maybe make relations to their own work or, or see a quilt that's maybe similar to something they've done and go, well, wow, I could do that, 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 you know, and, and sort of re reignite uh, the creativity on my end and their end. And that's, that's the thing that I think has been really cool about doing a book. Yeah. It almost, after I turned in that manuscript, I was still like, wait, can I finish this quilt? Can we put this one in too? (laughs) I really wanted to get the flavor of the new series that I, that I've been working on and kind of where I'm going was to try to get those before, before it becomes sort of this final thought. You guys are really good, helpful (laughs) as far as letting me hurry up to get a couple of them finished right to the very possible end of the line to include them gotcha well it 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 seems kind of like it was like picking your favorite kid almost (laughs) they were and sometimes you know there's some some of my most favorite quilts are quilts that you'd be like really that's your favorite (laughs) (laughs) sometimes they're the most simplest quilt but yeah I don't know why that is but you know we we get a connection to things on levels that are completely personal and I don't know. I, I, I think that's they're healing. Quilts are healing. What can I say? It's, I think that's probably most of it. You know, we make connections, emotional connections to thing without really realizing, you know, why we're connected to things at some point. And sometimes it's obvious and sometimes it's not. And sometimes you just have to accept that. Yeah, that quilt's probably not the most coolest thing I've ever made, but man, I like that. Just be proud of it. <laughs> I'm sticking exactly. with that. <laughs> well, I I would go with it definitely. Um, well, and so I always I wondered too. Like I'm sure that over the years, some of your work is no longer in your hands. Um, I mean, it, quilters tend to give things away. Um, some people are lucky enough to sell some of them. Was there a quilt that you had done that you really wished you could have included, but you just didn't have access to anymore? I have some very early quilts that I hand piece that when I was quilting early 90s that I completely did by hand before I really knew what I was doing and would just sit and hand piece those. And I've gone back several times uh, to the farm to see if I could locate them. And I just have not been able to. And I think those are the ones that really kind of bum me out. Anything that I've done that has been as far as commission or quilts that I've given, I tend, I've always tried to take photographs of them or, keep a record of them somehow. I cannot say that I've been very organized about that. I'm currently, I'm photographing right now um, everything I've ever done that I can get my hands on. So anytime I come across something, mostly, you know, actually it's, it's quilts that were taken when we still printed photographs. Those quilts are just gone. I don't, I have no, no way of trying to track them down. So I'm left with these sort of horrible, bad 80s cheap camera photographs the only thing i have is a record of yeah so well hopefully somebody will listen to this and think wait i think i have one of those (laughs) (laughs) yeah i have a feeling they probably don't exist anymore because they were not very well made but (laughs) 
we all have to there grow, right? We all start somewhere, work our way. Hopefully, exactly. our school, hopefully everything gets a little bit better, continue to work and get better as I am. Right? <laughs> that's my concept anyway. Um, <laughs> so, you know, just make sure to double check the tack room. Yes, exactly. <laughs> no quilts hiding in the horses or anything. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, and that's what I wondered. So just reading through the book, um, I just, I, I read it very early on before it was, you know, fully produced. And then I've, I just read it again the other day. And it occurred to me that I'm not really sure I could put a year, like, you know, like the Red Cross is called, it's a great example, because you've got a date range there that's 2009 to 2017. So that's quite a gap. Right. You know, it's an 18 year gap. And from when you began the quilt to when you d- decided it was finished. And so how do you keep track? Do you like journal it? Or do you just remember? Like, do you have a system to kind of keep track of what you're doing creatively? Um, blogging has been very good for that. So that's kind of where I started out any blogging when I really came seriously. You know, I've been making quilts a long time, but it really wasn't taking it seriously until probably in the early 2000s. And I started my blog in 2008. That's been like a diary of when I've started a lot of these quilts. So you know, there were quilt tops that I made that I always thought, man, that's really cool. I want to quilt that, but my skills weren't great. So I'd put these pieces away. Then I would be working on something else years later. And I'd be like, remember that thing that I made a long time ago? I need to pull that thing back out. You know, for the case of um, that Red Crosses quilt that has the dates of 2009 to 2017, the top was literally finished never quilted. So pulling it back out and reaching out to Frank Palmer and having him quilt it and to do the brilliance that he does, he could certainly do it better than I could. You know, he finished, you know, we have these conversations and he finished the story of that quilt. The the part of that quilt to me that was really special was that I could embrace leaving that quilt top the way that it's pieced because it was quilted, you know, it was pieced in 2009 when I still had a hard time getting seams to line up on squares, sewing a bunch of squares together (laughs) because my gut instinct is to fix it all. But I wanted to leave it and acknowledge the fact that I made that thing, you know, 18 years ago. And now it's finally getting its, its final glory by getting it quilted and the rest of the story told. So I, I, that's the journey that quilting takes me on. So I think it's okay, you know, people, you know, have projects where I'm not the only one who's got projects that are 10, 15, some years old that they've started and never finished. It's never too late to pull those back out because your process has changed, your skills have changed, your eyes have changed, and how you look at those projects and how you can now finish them, you can turn an okay quilt and make it anything really amazing. So I, if I, if it's a quilt top that I've made a long time ago and just have not gotten to the deadline of actually finishing it, you know, I want to acknowledge that in the date of the quilt because that is the journey. Well, and so do you, do you recommend that the, I guess for lack of a better term, the lay quilter records kind of what they do? Cause we don't all blog or is it really not necessary? Well, I think Instagram's kind of taking that over now. People are showing what's just a handy tool to have because that's the good part and the bad part of about online is that once it's there, it's there and it's there forever unless you find a way to take it down. So, you know, it is it is one way. I take a ton of photos now that we have, you know, phones with cameras. It's, you know, I've got 45,000 photos on my phone. Oof. 
So, you know, it's more of a chore just to keep those organized. When I make a new quilt, I got to make sure to pull the image and drop it into a file. But you know, again, that's airplane work for me. I can sit on the airplane and scroll through my photos to make sure that I'm getting photos into the files to, to make sure that I don't forget that, hey, you made that quilt last week and you put that in that file. Gotcha. So I think we have an easier time now taking a quick record of it with our phones and dropping it into a file as opposed to take photos or take slides and then documenting them with paper to back it up. We have that <laughs> digital diary to be able to. Exactly. I do remember going to Target to pick up your envelope of developed photos. <laughs> yeah. Especially when none of them turned out. Exactly. Uh, That's why I have all these old bad quilts. Oh man. Well, in, um, Let's see. So the other thing, the last thing, because I know um, we're getting close to the end of our time. Um, so the retrospective that we just released, that kind of captures your work up through pretty much last year. But I know you've got a lot of new things going. So can you share a little bit about what's next and um, what you might be finding truly inspiring right now? Well, what I talked about, about making that connection to the work that's starting to continue to work. Um, there's a quilt on the back of the book that is still not finished, and that's been <laughs> at least four years. So I'm looking forward to actually getting some stuff finished that has have been started that I think are interesting and just not how to do it. I never thought that I would be a teacher. I've enjoyed teaching, but what I've really found is that I enjoy having five days with students to really push design as opposed to just teaching uh, technique. So I'm working on my adjusting my schedule so that I'm working with students. Like I have a group of like 20, 25 students that come every single year and we spend three or four or five days together and we continue to work on things that have been coming for four years now. So I'm, I'm looking to have more time with my students. Um, I'm also going to be putting a lot of my classes um, I've already filmed and I'm going to be having those available online through my website. And there are classes that I teach regularly and have been popular. I think that'll be a great tool to sort of supplement my not being on the road quite so much. Um, I'm really looking forward to having more time to get some quilts that are not quilts that I would ever pattern because they're just complicated and layered and all of this stuff. Just having the time to really get back in the play box and just pushing pushing myself further. That's the gratitude. I, I enjoy that. I love that I can. I don't know. I also, I collect a lot of quilts. So I, I mentioned that I'm documenting and getting everything I've ever made photographed, but I'm also getting my collection of quilts that I collect documented. And, you know, maybe we'll be talking at some point in the next with the quilts that I've collected <laughs> <laughs> and where that leads, but don't ask mm -hmm. me next six months at least. <laughs> <laughs> I won't, I promise. You're really good about knowing when you've gotten to the point where you have enough to share that it's a book, you know, so I'll, yeah. I'll wait for you to tell me, hey, it's, it's time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I'm just really looking to having a little bit more just waiting. I've been very patient. Maybe not. <laughs> well, they, they are very good at waiting. Um, <laughs> well, and this is just a total nosy Nancy question, but I remember living in a very, very large city and how much space is at a premium. So with over 600 quilts of your own and a substantial collection of other work, like, where do you fit it all? <laughs> well, I used to have a studio in my apartment, Eddie. I have a loft apartment, so I'm not short of space. As But my old studio is now just an office uh, where I store 
15 giant bins that are filled with 10 to 15 quilts per bin. Yeah, I got I got a lot there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then I also have a whole bunch more bins here at my house. So I'm working on trying to get them all in one place. So that's That's been a huge chore, but it's, you know, it's one of those things that always gets put on the list of things to do and you just kind of never seem to get to it because it seems something, but I just keep chipping away at it. And then as I'm doing that, I'm cleaning things out and then I find all this stash of double <laughs> polyester fabrics that I have and I have a whole series of those that I want to get working at before that, well, it's mm-hmm. not going to disintegrate. It's not going anywhere. Yeah, I'm dying to get in there to start cutting it up and playing with it. That's the problem with cleaning things up is that you find other things and you're like, ah, I want to start that project. And you know, then you're down the rabbit hole starting five more. Yeah, it's. I think cleaning the craft room is probably the most dangerous undertaking there is. Yes, but the most inspiring one. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Well, and so for people who are listening, um, who might be out and about over the next, you know, handful of months, where can they find you in your work next? I'll be at QuiltCon and I'll be speaking there and I'll have an exhibit of quilts there and you're going to see a whole bunch of stuff there. That'll be great. Then I'll be at Sewing Expo in Madison next year. And I'll also have another exhibit at the Wisconsin Quilt Museum next fall that I'm really looking forward to. I love being back in the Midwest with all my people out there. So it's fun to have the quilts out and about hearing what people have to say and having time to teach. Excellent. Well, and being a Midwesterner, we appreciate the shout out. (laughs) Exactly. And everybody always knows to find they can come to New York City when they want to come shopping is, you know, because I don't know what else you would do in New York City. So you might as well come to a quilt shop. So you come visit a quilt, say hi online. And one other thing that I would love to mention is that about a month or so ago, I was, was able to film with Craft in America, a long-running PBS show, when we were talking about arts and crafts a little bit earlier. I think this is a really great um, series that everybody should know about. But I was honored to be filmed with Susan Hudson and Michael Cummings and Judith Content and um, Judith Spires. I mean, and the episode is going to air uh, December 27th at 9 p.m. So people need to check their local listing. Um, I just think it's excellent that they were able to do an episode on quilts in general. And that can never hurt, you know, considering quilts as art. Again, they are. That would be really exciting to see. Grateful. Yeah. Well, no, it's an excellent series. I can't wait to see the quilts episode. It'll be fun. All right. Well, that's perfect. Well, thank you so much. I truly appreciate you taking time out of your schedule and just chatting a little bit. It was great to catch up. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. This is Roxanne Serta. Thanks for listening to Behind the Scenes. Want to know more about our outstanding group of authors and their books? Visit us online at CT Publishing on Instagram, Twitter, our CNT Publishing channel on YouTube, or on our website at ctpub.com.